0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 68 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with former Delegate John Herson of Montgomery County, Maryland. John, how are you doing today? How are you? I'm doing well. Great. The first question I'd like to ask you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Um, Well, what I'm currently
1: doing is I am working for an association in Washington, um, where I do uh, lobbying for them on Capitol Hill. But I guess if I really had to sort of square my life away in terms of what I've done in public service, um, obviously you mentioned I was a delegate um, uh, in Annapolis representing part of Montgomery County. Um, And when I was in that role, I um, served in several positions in the legislature which I think helped me serve the public better. Um, And I think um, I enhanced, um, you know, the condition of people in Montgomery County. I was majority leader um, under Speaker Cass Taylor. Um, I was the chairman of the Environmental Matters Committee um, and also the chairman of the Health Committee. And while I served um, as chairman of the Health Committee, there were a number of issues that came before my committee, which I think advanced
0: uh, the
1: public welfare. Um, I guess the one that I'm proudest of is the fact that we created a, a um, commission that uh, provides funding for health clinics around the state uh, called the Maryland Community Health Resources Commission. And that, um, that commission continues to operate. I'm still chairman of that commission. Um, and we've given over uh, $55 million to the health clinics over the years. Um, enhancing uh, delivery of services to those who can't afford it um, and um, that bill, creating that was my bill and I've since served on the commission and also as chairman of the commission and um, and I continue to do that. So um, right now, today, we have a RFP on the street uh, looking for health clinics to apply for approximately $4 million in funds for this year. Um, so that's one thing I've done. The other thing I've done in my service in the legislature is I was the author of the bill that um, implemented the federal uh, CHIP program, Children's Health Insurance Program. Uh, mm-hmm. And as a result of that, 17,000 more kids I know in Montgomery County uh, received health care under that program. So I guess that would summarize what I think I've done in terms of public <laughs> service. Um, it was quite a
0: lot. You, you know, so you expanded Medicaid, expanded funding for um, for recipients of of grants um, to improve to improve care for those in the lower end of the social economic spectrum, and you shifted through a lot of different leadership positions. Um, it sounds like you ended up in leadership in the uh, in the health committee. How was it that you transitioned from being a freshman delegate, meaning your first year in office? to being majority leader, environmental matters com- committee chair, and then the chair of the health committee. How did you transition from one to the other? Obviously, it was through the good graces of Cass Taylor, the speaker at the time. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you moved so perhaps quickly um, from one leadership position to the next? Well, I uh, when I
1: became a delegate to Annapolis, I... Uh, was assigned to the Economic Matters Committee and Cass Taylor, who was a delegate from Western Maryland, uh, was the chairman of that committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I ended up
0: sitting right
1: next to the next speaker of house, uh, Mike Bush, who's also on that committee. Um, but, um, Cass and I became very, um, good friends, um, and colleagues, um, and worked very closely together on that committee. So when he became um, uh speaker after Clay Mitchell uh, decided to retire, um, he tapped a number of us who had worked with him on that committee uh, to, for leadership positions.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: Mike Bush became chairman of Economic Matters. I actually became chairman of a, another committee that people don't know a lot about, um, which was called the AELR, the Administrative um, Executive Committee that reviews all regulations that are issued by the administration.
0: um, Right.
1: And and approves them for, um, doesn't approve them, but reviews them, if you will, because these are executive decisions on regulations. Executive,
0: the Administrative Executive Legislative Review Committee, which operates full year, including in the nine month interim when the legislature is not in session, correct?
1: Correct. So um, I served in that capacity and part of, if you will, Cass's inner circle in that capacity uh, for two years. And then um, the I guess it was the '94 elections took place, um, and the person Cass had appointed as um, chair, a uh, uh, majority leader, um, Kenny Masters, was defeated. Um, hmm. So came to. Appoint somebody as majority leader. That's when Cass appointed the majority leader at that point.
0: Um, What was your role as majority leader?
1: hmm?
0: And what was your role as majority leader?
1: Well, majority leader is sort of um, the guy in the in the legislature who herds Cass. Basically, you're the you're the one who's trying to make sure that when bills are brought to the floor by the committees they are, if the committee has a recommendation to pass them, um, mm-hmm. which they often do, they won't bring a bill on the floor that they don't want to pass, it's your job to try to make sure it happens. Um, so you have a whip count, um, you uh, make sure that the, the various factions in the Democratic side of the House of Delegates are in line with the language of the legislation. Um, Just to interject
0: for a moment, for our listeners who don't know, could you explain what a whip count is?
1: Sure. Um, So there are many, um, if you will, appointed deputy whips, um, Mm -hmm. that's the the phrase, who actually go out and talk to the members of the Democratic legislature, and some of the Republicans as well, uh, to find out how they feel about a particular piece of legislation. So if you have a very important bill coming to the floor. What you want to do is you want to send all your whips, your deputy whips, mm-hmm. out to talk to their group of people and find out how those people feel about this legislation. Um, so
0: basically you don't want any surprises.
1: Right. You want to find out if you've got, you know, uh, 71 votes uh, for the legislation. And if you, you don't, don't? you tell the chairman not to bring the bill to the floor
0: and it's going to get defeated. Um, so very few bills end up on the floor of the legislature for a final vote that get defeated. That's correct.
1: Um, I mean, it happens, uh, but it's it, it's not a good result. You know, a good result is that you've always got the votes for it's like all the major bills, anyway. A lot of minor bills that usually are not controversial, so they you don't have to whip those uh, because you don't mm-hmm. you're not particularly. Opposed by anybody, so you, you you figure those are going to get through. So you don't worry too much about those, but you have to worry about the, the big ones because um, you don't mm-hmm. want you don't want the speaker to be embarrassed. I mean, if there's a major administration bill that you're trying to pass, um, you know, you don't want the the Democratic speaker
0: to be embarrassed
1: by a loss of that bill on the floor of his house. So that's just so when
0: you. So you mentioned um, the Maryland Community Health Resources Commission as a bill that you uh, initiated and eventually passed. Can you talk about how you ushered it through the bill to law process as the chairman of the Health and Government Operations Committee and what power you had as a chairman to control that bill and help navigate it through the legislative process? Well,
1: usually, you know, chairmen usually have um, ideas that they want to push through, you know, that are outside of maybe the administration's thinking or the speaker's thinking. So you want to, you have to design that legislation and get the support in your own committee to pass it out, that's important, which is usually not hard since you're the chairman. I mean, most of the people on the committee want to help their chairman. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So getting that bill through initially, was not difficult getting it through the House. The harder part was getting the Senate to adopt it.
0: Why was that have, difficult?
1: Well, they have their own priorities. Um, you don't control their body. This is an initiative of the chairman of the other House. Um, mm-hmm. So there's always some skepticism <laughs> about the legislation. Um, mm-hmm. and in this case, it's interesting. It's still passed in... 2003 I think um, went over to the Senate and died on this for the Senate on sine die night uh, by one day.
0: die is the last day of session That's correct? So,
1: um, so that was you know, disappointing but you come back the next year and you start to work it, wasn't, it was easy we knew it was going to pass the House again so mm-hmm. we heard, probably worked a little bit harder trying to make sure the Senate was with us. Um,
0: Did it the, surprise you that it failed the first year?
1: Not really. Um, it, it, I was surprised, actually, it failed by only one vote. But um, it was interesting, because this was during the Ehrlich administration. Um,
0: Who was a Republican.
1: Right. And, and as, you were a Democrat. Yeah, he supported the bill. Um, so I think that may have been part of the process of the Senate. But, but the second hmm. year I, I put it in, I worked closely with um, uh, Mac Middleton, who's a senator from Southern Maryland, a Democrat, who headed the mm-hmm. uh, Finance Committee in the Senate, and that's where the mm-hmm. bill was referred. Um, and um, worked closely enough with him that he ended up uh, co-sponsoring a Senate version. Um, and so once that you have a, a, a bill like that cross-filed, they call it cross-filing, you have the same bill
0: in both houses,
1: that makes it much easier because everybody gets to take credit for the idea. Um, and that's, that's So credit
0: what, matters.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, people want to – if something's going to pass and become law and going to be a, ma- a major program, um, I think pe- the more people who who are invested in it um, and take credit for it, the better because um, it's more likely to pass that way. So, um, Interesting.
0: So the more diffuse the – uh, approbations go for the passage of a piece of legislation more likely it is to pass because the more legislators who are therefore capable of returning to their constituents are saying, you sent me to Annapolis to be productive and look what I've done. Correct. That's exactly right.
1: So um, that's what happened in this case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it passed and that, and that was good. And, um, and as I said, I mean, you know, shows you how good it is when, when you've got over fifty five million dollars has gone out to the community to community clinics, and that money also by the way is um good because it it leverages uh, non state funds so you've got federal funds that are being given to these clinics based on the fact that they already have support from state states are
0: these are these clinics federally qualified health centers
1: some are um a lot of them are, um, but mm-hmm. they are also just um, some are religious-based clinics, um, some are based just in the community, some are just, some are health. Um, how
0: how did you get the idea health. to uh, create this fund? I'm sorry. How did you get the idea to create this fund?
1: Um, well, it was it was a it was a period of austerity at the state level, um, and there was a um, decision um to that had actually been made several years earlier to um, require some non profit health care insurers uh, who had not been paying the uh health insurance premium tax in the state. They mm-hmm. thought that was not fair to all the other health carriers. Health insurers, mm-hmm. And they decided to apply the premium tax to those nonprofit health insurers. The two largest um, were um, Care First, um, Blue Cross, and um, the, uh, Kaiser Permanente. So when the premium tax was applied to them, a portion of that premium tax, um, not all, but the, the, the funds that are raised through that premium tax to those two entities uh, was at applied in law to the
0: uh Maryland Community Health Resources Commission. So in that's effect where the, this was a this was like a budget neutral proposal and that's how you got the Republican administration on board.
1: Correct. So um so it was you know it was um um and th- those funds went for other things as well but but at least a portion of it was given to the Community Health Resources Commission.
0: Um so Let's talk a little bit about you being in leadership, but now you're actually a lobbyist of Congress. What is it that, you know, we haven't really spoken yet about your motivations for entering the Maryland General Assembly. So what originally inspired you to get into the legislature? And then why did you decide after achieving um, very high heights in the legislature and being in leadership, what, what led you to decide to leave the legislature uh, and, and politics entirely?
1: Um, well, I wouldn't say I'm entirely out of it. I am still chairman of this commission, which I'm happy about. And I'm still very active politically in the Democratic Party in Montgomery County. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you're right. It was a big decision to, you know, a life-changing event to actually decide to, you know, move to uh, the private sector. Um, I think primarily my motivations were personal. Um, I had spent 15 years in the legislature. I had, Mm you know, was in the middle of trying to get my two kids into college and pay for it, Um, and so it was just a personal motivation, and I thought I had had done a lot of good work, um, but it was time for me to, you know, have a different kind of focus, and um, I had a really good offer to come to this association, and I decided to take it. I just thought it was time, and um, I, I didn't think there was... Going to be, and I think time has proved me right, going to be a lot of movement um, up for me in the House of Delegates. Um, I didn't want to
0: particularly go to the State Senate. So I just
1: it was just a personal decision that I thought it was time to focus on something else. Um,
0: what do you, but, when you reflect back upon your years in the Maryland House of Delegates, what do you miss most about it? Oh,
1: I think the policy work. I think, you know, dealing with different policy questions, particularly in healthcare because I really enjoy the uh, the complexity of healthcare. Um I guess one regret I have is that I wasn't there when um the Affordable Care Act passed uh at the federal level because I think that means a lot to how the, the state deals with healthcare issues. Um mm-hmm. So that's a little bit um Disappointing, and I wasn't there for that, but that's what I missed the most is the policy stuff
0: and do you work with health policy in your current position at all yeah, a little
1: bit i my um the the association I work for is the uh, personal care products council, which uh represents all the cosmetic companies and cosmetics are regulated by FDA so uh, mm-hmm. we've been in a seven year long effort to try to pass major Reform of the cosmetic regulatory structure, uh, at FDA. and just
0: um, for our listeners, the FDA is the Federal Food and Drug Administration. Right. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so
1: it's it, it's
0: still very much in a
1: policy level, except that it's not as, if you will, a diverse plate of policy issues. It's very concentrated in one area. Um, mm-hmm. so I missed the diversity of the policy questions. That I used to deal with on the health level, um, mm-hmm. and I think also I think it's always fun, and I enjoyed my 15 years in the legislature, where you meet diverse people from around the state, um, and that that was interesting. I mean, um, just getting to know people from different parts of the state, um, different parts of the local government, um, so it was that, that was really interesting, and I really enjoyed that.
0: Is unique that you had, or is it unique that you had such a close relationship with an individual from Western Maryland, which on the surface shares very little in terms of policy priorities um, or demographics with the portion of Montgomery County that you represented? I, I think it's interesting when you say they don't
1: have the same opinions about things. You're right on basic issues uh, that are important to the Democratic Party. Um, like gun control or um, abortion rights. Um, folks from other parts of the state don't share those who are Democrats, um, don't share those basic tenets, if you will, of uh, democratic policy um, support. However, the thing that everybody shares, it seems to me, in the legislature is a desire to help the citizens of the state. Um And one of the things about Cass Taylor that I found uh, intriguing and interesting was his – every day he was there, he was trying to make sure that Western Maryland, which is very uh, challenged economically, um, was getting support from the state. Um, And he – every day he thought about that. So I think in a lot of ways I had respect for him because of that um, thing that he needed to do, which obviously – while we want to support the, you know, Missouri County with state funds as well, and we do, um, it's not the same challenge. Um, you know, the challenge in a, uh, economically depressed area like Western Maryland or, or parts of the Eastern shore, um, you know, that, their challenge is much greater. And, um, so I had a lot of respect for him for, for the fact that he was working so hard on that. And, um, um, and, but the, I guess the similarities between everybody who goes to the legislature, uh, that's the least I've met, um, are that they want to do something good for their constituents. Um, and I think that that's, that sort of unites not just the Democrats there, but even the Republicans and the Democrats together. Um, that's, that's institutional to all of them. They, they want to do something good for their
0: constituents. Well, uh, John, I appreciate your time this morning. Um, you've spoken about wanting to do something good for your constituents and having concrete uh, examples throughout your legislative career of how you've made life better for Marylanders. You have expanded access to healthcare for those who most uh, need it. Um, You've worked to make sure that other areas of Maryland uh, get the help they need to try to drive their economy and their lives forward. You've built partnerships based upon strong personal relationships, and at the end of the day, um, it sounds like you can uh, rest assured that Maryland is better off because you've been around. So, John, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Public Interest Podcast. Thanks, um, Jordan. Uh, yeah, and this has been episode sixty-eight of Public Interest Podcast, where with your host Jordan Cooper where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others to seek to improve the state of the world. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.